All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to Oilers Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. One hour straight hockey talk with Dan, Rick, Tyler, and Bag Milk starts now. I was going to try to jump right in on the intro when it says Bag Milk and be like, Zach, like really quick, but I wasn't sure if I could time it properly. Uh, Bag Milk is still off living his island life. I guess he's in Vancouver, so not actually on the island out in BC, but regardless, you get what I'm saying. So Zach Lang's here. Hey, Zach, how's it going? Hey, good, Tyler. How are you? Just great. Just great. It's a beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Not a cloud in the sky. There's actually a few. Anyways, this is episode 207 of Oilers Nation Radio, uh, brought to you by our friends over at DoorDash and Oodle Noodle. We are going to get into a delicious debate question, but first, uh, let's talk about the news of the day. Jay Woodcroft officially back with the Oilers on a three-year deal. It was reported a little bit last week from uh, well, from a few people, Nick Kiprios being one of them, and then today, Kevin Weeks and pretty much every other media person confirming the news that uh, Jay Woodcroft is coming back as the Oilers head coach. The interim tag is gone, and it is a three-year contract for Woodcroft. So let's just go around the horn and share our thoughts on this one. I'll start with our guest, Zach. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a no-brainer, right? I think, you know, it was pretty clear, pretty obvious that Woodcroft was going to be coming back. I think, you know, the big questions remain, you know, what happens with the assistants, right? You know, you got to feel that uh, um, Dave Manson is going to likely be back. Um, what happens with Glenn Gullitson or Brian Wiseman? I mean, I think that's where it's going to get really interesting. And I think we'll know more uh, come tomorrow morning uh, because Jay, Jay Woodcroft and Ken Holland are supposed to speak to some media. Well, there you go. Dan, your thoughts on Woodcroft coming back? 
Yeah, for me, the one of the big positives to take away from the season has been the opportunity for Jay Woodcroft to really sink his teeth into this team for an entire season. Uh, came on board, you know, he mentioned it himself that early on he wasn't able to even get the practice time that he really wanted to uh, to be able to instill some of his systems and his his way of playing. So, I mean, this the opportunity that we have now with a head coach that is fresh, is new. He's not one of the 36 hockey men that rotate through the NHL jobs these days. Um, yeah. I, I think that there's a lot of positives to come out of this kind of an announcement and it's not, you know, the Dallas Aikens just grabbing a guy out of the AHL and shooting your shot with him. We have already seen some tangible results from this guy. Rick. I think it was just the obvious next step. I think they've, they kind of uh, put him in this spot um, however many years ago when they put him back down at Baco to let him start running that organization. And it's kind of been the, the way it was meant to be. I think that the, the organization kind of drew up. So I'm glad it's, it's now uh, signed on a dotted line and people can get over the whole, will they, won't he, why is it taking so long type of stuff? There's a lot of people who were, uh, I would say irrationally nervous about that, especially like I remember there was that Kiprios tweet that was like, oh, teams out east are watching this. And it was like, are they, though? Like, is Jay Woodcroft really going to be like, you know what, Oilers, because you won't give me a fourth year as a coach, I'm going to go to the Red Wings. And it's like, no, it's probably not. And the Ross. And the roster of coaches that are out there, the 36 hockey men that are still available and they're still yeah. fighting for positions. Yeah. So I never really bought any of the, Ooh, Ooh why is it taking so long? Uh, the thing that Zach touched on that I think will be interesting, and maybe we will find out about this tomorrow is the assistance. I mean, there was some talk that maybe Gullison, I think was in the last year of his deal. I don't, I don't know if that was like a firm report or if that was just sort of some chatter. Uh, Brian Wiseman was a guy who's been here since 2019, 20. And uh, he was a Tippett guy, right? Cause he was a video coach with the stars under Tippett. He was brought here by Tippett. I, I would imagine his contract would have expired at the same time Tippett's did, right? Because they were kind of linked together, which means his contract would be up at the end of this season if that's the case. I wouldn't be... Like, if tomorrow Woodcroft came out and was like, Manson's back, I'm looking for two new assistants, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Gullitson and Wiseman were gone. Would anyone of you be surprised? A little more surprised with Gullitson than, than, yeah. uh, than Wiseman. I think Gullitson just... Having him around, I think it's just a nice safety net for uh, for a first year coach. Um, yeah, it's other than that though. No, I wouldn't be surprised to see Wiseman gone. Is this is this not the end for Dustin Schwartz too? Is this That's like is this the goalie? Is this the goalie coach move time? I feel like that. I feel like that might be the the move that we do this off season. Everybody, welcome your so. new goaltending coach, Mike Smith. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I don't no, know. They just but, bring the they just bring Rodrigo from the uh, from the AHL. I'd, it's fairly, I'd, I'd imagine. Yeah, I don't yeah, like think with he's been working for Skinner for so long. Like, why not advance him up here? The only if thing, that was the ultimate move. I, I don't really know the way this works, like the inner workings of an NHL. I don't think the head coach hires the goaltending coach. I think that's an organizational hire. Like, I think that's a Ken Holland thing. Like, I don't think Dave Tippett was the one, like, giving the thumbs up to Schwartz. Like, because the goalie coach just works a little bit more separately, if I if I understand it correctly, than the rest of the coaching staff. Like, he's not in, like, all their meetings and shit, you know? 
Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, the, I think it's like the performance coaches, the skating coaches, that same kind of uh, idea where, yeah, they're almost figureheads. But I, I just wonder as an organization, if this is a time to start shifting some of those things. We've talked about it before with with coaching regime moves and we've had issues with our goaltending like uh, I know, and I know that some of it's talent based and some of it's, you know, injury based and all that, but I just, yeah, I don't know. Regime change. I like it. He's they don't think like a a goalie coach makes our goaltenders better though. Do we? Because like I, I really had no idea up until I was listening to the radio and they walking gauge said, I think it was gauge anyways, kind of broke down how their relationship works. And it's, more of like someone like talk to and, and bounce ideas around with thing, almost like a, for lack of a better term, like a therapist or someone like that, as opposed to someone who's really like, okay, you no, know, like changing your skills. Um, once you're late, once you're in, in the NHL, you know, 24, 25, I don't think changing your, uh, your goaltending is, is probably the, a very popular move. I, I think it's somewhere in the middle. Like you always hear about like an Ian Clark out in Vancouver or Mitch Korn, who's followed Barry Trotz everywhere. He's went as like these goalie whisperers who help these guys make these subtle tweaks. Like, you're, I mean, you're never going to go to a guy and be like, Hey, you're going to be a stand up goalie or something crazy. But I think yeah. it's a lot of like, you know, positioning and things like that, that you're bouncing ideas off of. So I think it has an impact, maybe not as big of an impact as maybe some people who hate D- Dustin Schwartz for whatever reason seem to think he's been here since 2014, which means he's survived the Tippett change, the McClellan change. Like, go down the list. How many coaches has there? Yeah, that's, coach- that's a lot of changes. I think he's at like five or six now. <laughs> so, I think that's kind of why I jumped to the conclusion that, like, okay, the head coaches clearly aren't his, picking this guy. It's, I can it's, see his time being up, though. That's for sure. That's, yeah, I guess, that's, yeah, that's just where I'm at. And I'm not, I wouldn't count myself as a Dustin Schwartz hater. It's just like, for me, you just, you change the voice, you change the, you change the, the room spectra, you know, the, I don't know how to put it, yeah. but you just kind of change it up. And for, for, a, for a team that has had a lot of issues and a lot of stagnation with the way uh, or the level that their goalies play at, I don't know. He's been with OEG since the 2010 season, and he spent four years as the Oil Kings uh, goaltending coach before making the jump up to Edmonton, where I believe his first season, the goaltenders he would have oversaw that season that played NHL games. Ben Scrivens, Victor Fast, Richard Bachman. Hello. Oh, yeah. Tyler Buns and Laurent Bressois each played a game as well. Um, so that would have been the first crop of goaltenders old Schwartz he had to deal with. Just, yeah, I don't know. Like Rick said, and, and like you guys mentioned with like with Joaquin Gage and all that, like th- maybe they don't have that big of an impact, mm-hmm. but maybe a new guy does and why not try it? Yeah. Um, I think especially when you look at the fact that Stuart Skinner is going to be up on the big club next year, right? I liked Rick's point of bringing up Rodrigue from the American League team because at the very least, you have that level of familiarity with that guy already. Um, and we've seen the way Stewart's game has developed over the last you know, three or four years that he's been down there in Bakersfield too. So yeah, I think, I think that would make a lot of sense. That one will be interesting. And like I said, I wouldn't be the lead. I, I would be like a six out of 10, seven out of 10 surprised if Schwartz was out. And if there was a new goalie coach, I would be three out of 10 surprised if both Gullitson and Wiseman were gone. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, I also think, like, do you not owe it? Like, I don't think Holland can go in and be like, Jay, you're keeping Gullitson. No. Yeah. Like, it needs to be Woodcroft's choice to build out his own staff, right? Like, if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. Like, you either trust it's, Woodcroft to do everything yeah. himself 
or you don't and you shouldn't have hired him. As soon as you drop that interim tag, he's the head coach and that's his staff. Yeah. And so it's who he's comfortable with because then that's the guys that are going to get him hired and fired. You know, like there, there is a certain element of responsibility on the head coach there that has to be his. Uh, elsewhere around the NHL, the coaching news is news that we've seen is uh, Pete DeBoer is now officially the new head man in Dallas. John Tortorella is the new head coaching option in Philadelphia and Bruce Cassidy out in Vegas. So uh, generally, it, it's kind of almost refreshing to see the Oilers while every other team is just doing the recycle the same old guy. The Oilers just rolled with a guy that they in a way sort of developed their own. To be fair, we have done the we have done the recycling so much in the last seven or eight years that if we were still going that route, yeah, you'd be looking at us like Philly. Yeah. Um, Can you imagine John Tortorella as the coach of this team? No, I can't. He's going to be okay. No, I don't think I can do this. (laughs) Like Connor McDavid needs to just be taken care of. Like, just leave him alone. But Tortorella would not be a guy to leave that alone, I don't think. No. Um, All right. Well, so no real big surprises with the Woodcroft deal. I'd be interested to hear just how much money he got. Um, Just from, uh, you know, you look around the league, DeBoer apparently got like more than $4 million, I think, was his deal. It'd be interesting to see what a sort of quote-unquote beginner head coach like Woodcroft was able to get, um, but I don't think anyone's really reported on that at all. So that'll wrap up the coaching discussion on today's show. Uh, let's get into our oodle noodle delicious debate. And uh, this is one that, like, I, when I came up with it, I, I talked about it a little bit yesterday on Real Life, and not, no one from Real Life is here, so this will work nicely. I honestly think we might get three different. I might get three different answers from you guys, but the question is: A genie comes through, says you get to grant one of the Oilers' pending RFA's. You get to give them a seven-year contract with a three million dollar AAV. Puljujarvi, McLeod, Yamamoto, one of them, seven by three. Which player do you give the contract to? Nation Dan. Well, you know, it, it's not a, it's not an on the fly thing. You did ask us ahead of time and I have been uh, thinking about it pretty much the entire time. And I settled on Ryan McLeod as my choice simply because of the center position. And then I think that, yeah, I, I, I just think McLeod is that build of a, of a third line center that can play as a second line center in the future. Uh, a Sean Horkoff type. And I would sign him long-term Zach. I mean, I think we all know where I'm going. <laughs> it's like, like McLeod's my second for sure. I think that's a great answer, Dan. Um, I think he would be a great player to have locked up long-term, but for me, it's Pooley Arby. Um, you look at the impacts that he has on the ice and I think his game's only going to grow from this point in time too. You know, he's still young. He's still 24 years old. The on ice impacts are there right now. And I think it's just a matter of trying to find a way to round out his game. Obviously in the offensive zone, he's got a lot of work to do still, but you know, I think people tend to forget that keeping the puck out of your net is just as important as putting the puck in the other team's net and to have an elite two-way winger like Puliarvi, who does a great job in his own zone, uh, locked up to a deal around $3 million, I think is quite reasonable. Yeah, I, I understand that. I would also argue that a high-end goal scorer or someone who fills the net is more valuable than a forward who is just good defensively. And hopefully if Pugliarvi can grow into a player who fills the net on one end and is responsible in his own end, then yeah, I think, I mean, if you had him by seven by three and he's popping you 24 to 26 goals a season and playing good in his own end, you're laughing. 
I also think if you sign Ryan McLeod to a deal like that and he grows into being this really, really good third line center who maybe becomes a second line center, allows you to play McDavid and Drysaddle together. I still don't haven't lost faith in him even being a winger, a guy who can, you know, moonlight in your top six. You're getting a hell of a deal there. Rick, out of those three, who would you go with? I'm going with McLeod. I mean, there's obvious, uh, you can see behind me, I got a couple of Pooley RV jerseys hanging up there. So, I mean, it's not like I dislike the player, but I just think that McLeod has such a bright future. I mean, this is really his first year. He's on the second power play. He's on the first penalty kill. He's out there, you know, a rel- relatively important uh, five on five minutes. He's a part of the top nine that kind of fluctuates all amongst each other. Like they're almost interchangeable almost. Um, if I can, yeah, you can get him at $3 million. I can see him getting the highest paid of all three of these guys. So um, keeping him at $3 million, would be, that'd be a steal. Yeah, um, I, I think it would be too. I got a funny feeling that the deal, if they did go long-ish term with a guy like McLeod, it would probably be more in like the four or five year range and probably closer to like between two and two and a half million. If I just had to like ballpark it on the fly here. Um, Pooley RV, I think, you know, there probably isn't the option for them to go long term with them. I just don't see the relationship between the two sides being at that point where where that door is even open from either perspective. I, I can't see Ken Holland being willing to commit to a player like that. I can't really see Pooley RV being willing to commit to a contract like that when his ceiling is so high as well. And he's 24 years old. Yamamoto, while he may be I would imagine third on all of our lists if we had to rank them in a weird way. I actually think he might be the most likely to get a long term deal from this team. I think they really like the way he fits in next to McDavid and Drysaddle. I think they view him as a little bit more trustworthy right now. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I think they view him as a more trustworthy, reliable option compared to someone like a Yesapuliarvi. I could I think Yamamoto might be the most likely to get it. I think I would also choose McLeod for the reasons that Rick and uh, Dan laid out. The Pugliarvi stuff is really interesting to me. Um, like he's either getting traded or signed this summer. Like there's going to, I think he's either getting a two year deal or he's playing in another Jersey next season. Um, which, I, go ahead. Dan. I was just going to say too, like to your point, you know, I, I love Jesse Pugliarvi and I've gone to bat for Jesse Pugliarvi online. Uh, but I would probably put Jesse at third in my, in that list just really? because of, because I, yeah, like I do think that, that what you, what you're getting with Yamamoto is more dollar sign value than what you get from Jesse Puyar. So that's, that's my reasoning there. You get more goals from Yamamoto and you get more, like you get more energy that, GMs like I like too. like, I don't get me wrong. His, his, his forecheck ability is, is great. Um, but, but yeah, I, I just think that, yeah, I don't know. That's that. It was a great question for that reason. Cause I, cause it's, they are so close and, and Zach laid out the, you know, I, I trusted Zach to lay out the best case he could for Pooley RV because he's right. You know, in that you don't, those defensive players don't come along every time, but I just think value wise Yamamoto is above him. Yamamoto. Yeah, another thing, another thing for Pugliarvi is that that's that's the type of body you want in the playoffs right now. Yeah. He's a fucking horse, man. He's still grown into his body, as we can all see on the ice, and it frustrates some guys still. But um, in the long term, if he's able to stay healthy and find some of the offensive magic that everyone says is out there, that dude could be like a unicorn. Oh yeah, and that's why if he grows into his potential. I think his potential yeah. probably is still higher than than the other two. I think if you were to sign, let's say like weird world, all three of these guys get seven year deals at $3 million per 
the the contract that has the best chance of being an extreme value is pool Yarvis, just because like Zach laid out, there's so much room for him to grow. Like you just look at him, there's so much raw potential. But on the other side of that, I look at Yamamoto, who's played 70 less games than Pugliarvi in the NHL in the regular season and only has six less goals. I look at the impacts McLeod's been able to make as a, as a young center iceman and, and how difficult that can be. So Pugliarvi may have the highest ceiling, but I don't know, maybe his contract would also be the most likely to bust. Is that like an insane thing to say? No, because I don't think it can bust all that much at three million either. He's almost always going to be better than, say, Zach Cassian. You're going to almost always want to have Pooley Arby out there instead of Zach Cassian. At $3 million, he's less than Cassian. You really yeah. can't bust at that point. But this, I think to Tyler's, Tyler's point that he's making, it, you know, if <laughs> sex sells magazines, goals sell hockey players, Hello. right? Like it's just, that's, that's where contracts get become busts or booms is based off of your goal scoring and that's it. I, like it, it frustrates the hell out of me too, Rick. It yeah. frustrates the hell out of me. That's no, why I, I fight just think people no, online think about Justin Things are, things are. Oh, that, well, that's people online. What the hell do they know, man? Like, <laughs> they're my the friends, Rick. The majority <laughs> that's where my only on friends Twitter, are. The majority of people on Twitter talking about that stuff have no idea what the hell they're talking about. You see that in the first three or four tweets. It's very, very, very simple. <laughs> um, listen, there's more to just being on, you know, there's more to the, the game than just hitting the start, the stat sheet, but also at the same time, you do have to hit the stat sheet, right? Yep. So I, and I, that's where I the get, bus well, I get both, I get both sides of the, of the arguments when it comes to Pooley RV, but I think both sides are just being overly sensitive and it's ridiculous. It'll never end, man. Dustin Nielsen had a tweet about it yesterday. He's like, man, electric game three, the Stanley cup final. And for some reason, Jesse Pooley RV is trending on Twitter in Canada. And it's like, how is this <laughs> happening right now? But I mean, that's that's part of having a passionate fan base. And like, I, I think a fairly well-educated fan base as well. Like there's weirdos on the fringe of every debate, but the meat of it is that Pugliarvi is a polarizing player and he's way more polarizing than a McLeod or a Yamamoto. And I think that also leads to him maybe being, you know, the range of what he could be in four years is a lot greater than Yamamoto or McLeod. I don't think Kyler Yamamoto or Ryan McLeod are never going to be all-star caliber players. I think Pugliarvi yeah. at his peak, if everything goes right, he could be that kind of a guy where you're looking at him as like a damn good, impactful piece. The other two, I think they're the safer plays. And when it comes to potentially signing two of these three players, I really wonder how Ken Holland will handle it. Will he go and say, you know what? We got to give Pugliarvi just a little bit more time. Will Woodcroft go to bat for him at all? Because I think he's a player Jay Woodcroft really, really likes. Um, it, it'll be just fascinating to see how it plays out with the two, what I would call safer options and the one maybe a little bit riskier option, but with just that sexy tantalizing upside in Pooley Arby. It's like, like playing the we, field on the crops table, boy. It's like playing the field. You got to get that money in there. Mm-hmm. You can't win if you don't bet. Zach, what do we con- like? What do we constitute success for a guy like Pooley Arby right now? Right. He's the fourth overall pick. We heard about his <laughs> offensive upside coming out of the draft. It hasn't quite formulated, but it's still a guy who's put up a pretty decent clip. Like he had 36 points in 65 games this year. Yeah. He had COVID. He had a, lo- a lower body injury that Jay Woodcroft said, like really took a lot out of him too. So like, what's the ceiling on him? Like if he's a 20 goal scorer and puts up 45 points a year on a second or third line spot, like, are we really going to complain about that? If his cap hits low i mean like his, realistically it's always not bad his at cap all it is always going to be low he yeah. already played himself into a point where for the next he's always going to be underpaid that's just the way it's going to go right which and is again, great those, for us we have a, a, a value contract there 
Absolutely. And like bringing in guys like Zach Hyman, for example, um, have pushed a guy like Puliyarvi down the lineup. And that's what you want to have out of your team. Like you look at good teams around the league, they have guys that are pushed down the lineup that probably could be playing higher minutes on a team on any given night. And I just, I see tons of value in a guy like Puliyarvi. But again, back to the original question, I really don't think you could go wrong with locking up either of these three guys to a long-term deal. There's legitimate solid arguments. I think that can be made for, for each of these guys. Yep. Could you imagine if they announce it tomorrow, all three signs seven times three or three times, whatever, however you want to say that. And they do it in like like a genius and they do it in like the most extra way too. It's like a joint press conference with the three of them (laughs) the day. Like no one needs any of it, but it's just way over the top. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like when we had Pronger and uh, the Pronger and uh, Peck uh, barbecue or whatever. Oh yeah. (laughs) That'd be great. Yeah. Where they're like out at some park in the river Valley being like, the future is now everyone's like, you've Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And they're talking about like, (laughs) these three will lead us for decades. Uh, So I actually, for the first time since the season ended, I believe all three of them might be back next season. And a reason why is because the Oilers missed out on Andre Kuzmenko. Um, The Russian free agent, KHL All-Star, agreed to terms with the Vancouver Canucks. He picked the Canucks over us. Rick, you're shaking your head. You're rattled. You can't believe it. You know what? It it made me really wonder, like, did he get forced into taking Vancouver because Milstein's number one, um, free agent wants the wants the money from here instead oh i don't know like kuzmenko at 900k i don't think would have changed the evander kane negotiations would it have but he's he, no but it's also going to knock him out of the position out of out of uh playing position too maybe like it's already it doesn't look very like if you go down if you're on the left side right now it's going to be a dog fight so maybe if the angle the wings, it's a dog fight is he avoiding a competition so maybe this brings up the question of does Milstein know something about the Kane negotiations that we don't? Well, that's what I mean. Even yeah, without yeah. him, even without him, yeah. you're looking like you're still going to have uh, McLeod or Nuge there. You're going to have Hyman there. You're going to have Holloway down the left side. You know, it's, it's, it's not super duper easy to just get cushy minutes with one of those yeah. two players. And the thing is with Kuzmenko, it's a one-year ELC, right? And then he's a UFA next season. So I can understand why he would have wanted to go to somewhere like Vancouver where, you know, on the left side, who do they have right now? It's like Besser's on the right side. I'm looking at their depth chart. He's got to compete with Tanner Pearson and Connor Garland, I suppose. Like it's not even close to the same level of competition. So I wasn't like totally stunned to not see Kuzmenko sign here just because he, if he comes to Edmonton and gets lost in the shuffle, his shot at the NHL is done because he's at UFA next summer who would, have what one potentially mediocre season under his belt. So um, it feels like the safe play for him was always just to go to Vancouver and get tons of playing time. Right. Yes. Zach, what did you think? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I think it makes a ton of sense. I mean, like, Kuzmenko's not getting top six minutes here. He's not getting power play time. I mean, what would he be on the Edmonton Oilers? Maybe a third line winger, probably on the fourth line. I he mean, could I earn think- his way. He could earn his way in there, but he's got to yeah. work for it. He's not going to be able to get it from day one. And you go to Vancouver, he's going to get it in game one. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's just it, right? Like he has the opportunity to make some noise in Vancouver on what will probably once again be a not very great team. So he might have a chance to go there, shine for a year, you know, put up 40, 50 points and maybe get another contract offer from, from another team. But I just, I don't think like we've seen this all before with with players coming in from overseas, no matter how much success they've had, whether it's in the KHL or the Swedish league, and they just fizzle out. I mean, 
you know, these guys are kind of a dime a dozen at the end of the day and 25, 26 years old. I just, I don't think we're missing out on much here. Yeah, I mean, we all remember Vadim Shipachev, who lasted three games in the NHL with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Dan, your thoughts on Kuzmenko picking Van? First of all, Edmonton Oilers, give us a call because Oilers Nation would love to be the ones that show these free agents the city because we get to actually show them how they can experience our city with the Donairs and the Arby's and the Pint. And, you know, there's the yeah, options Arby's. are endless. So you got to have the Arby's in Edmonton. You got to do the entire tour. But, uh, but secondly, secondly, Oilers fans, we need to stop getting so horned up for these free agents. Like it is, it is crazy to me that like a person that none of us, I uh, like, I guess I'll just say myself, I'd never heard of before, he, before he was mentioned by his agent as to coming to visit other people. So I, you know, like, yes, it would have been cool if he signed here. There's also 31 other teams that were looking to have free agents come and join them. Like it's going to happen. We're not going to win on every free agent. Not every situation is going to work out just perfectly for this team. And we just went to the Western conference finals without him. What, you know, like I, I, whatever it's just, it's off season and we get excited for everything. Not much else to get excited for, to be fair. <laughs> Riverhawks is a great time. Go check out a Riverhawks game or an Elks game. And they got sharp jerseys too. I like the Riverhawks. I, I've been meaning to get out and uh, check out a game anyways. Um, yeah, I, I'm not like terribly heartbroken about it. I understand the thought process behind why Kuzmenko wouldn't sign here. And I also really wondered, I wondered about how Ken Holland would add a 5'11 skilled scoring winger and then handle a guy like Yamamoto. And I wouldn't want to lose a guy like Yamamoto, who I think has value and is a good NHLer, just because you get obsessed with the with the shiny new toy coming out of Russia. I don't think this guy was going to be Kaprizov or Panarin. He's just a little bit too old to believe in that kind of upside. Do I think, you know, he can be a 20, 25 goal guy? Yeah. And if the Canucks get 25 goals out of him at 900K, they're laughing and they're going to give him a nice big deal next summer. But even that's just so far from a guarantee. Like, again, I brought up the Shipachev thing. Like, that guy was putting up like 70 points a year in the KHL. He was supposed to be this golden child for the Golden Knights. And he, what, had three mediocre games, was like out of shape or some shit. They told him to go to the minors and he was like, no, I'm going home and left. Like, there's that could happen with Kuzmenko, right? He could just be like, see, ya, I'm out of here. You never know. The other there's a whole bunch of, in my timeline, there's a whole bunch of player names you can come up with. I go way back to some kid named Yuri Dapita who was looking for the checks and I can't even remember what tournament it was. And he came over here and didn't do too well, <laughs> but there was one guy who came over. He scored a hat trick in his first, his first game. I can't put my finger on it. Oh I think yeah. He was in the last 10, 12 years. Um, Lefty. Was he, was he with Dallas? I believe he did play at Dallas. I don't know if he got, that's where he got this hat trick, but I know he definitely played there for a while. Was Radulov? He, well, Radulov was with Nashville. Remember, then he went away and came back. Yeah, because yeah, he had a bad attitude. Yeah. Oh man, who was that guy, Rick? And I remember him too. Oh, wait, he's a lefty. Have been. I can I can tell you, he's a lefty. But he's the only one, and even so, he came over right away, and obviously he looked he looks massive right away yeah. with his three goal first game. Um, and a great start to his career, but even he fizzled a little after a couple of years too. Fabian Brunstrom. Yeah, there you go. Fabian oh, Brunstrom. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that was yeah. on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, he came over that was first he from year. Russia? Or was he the Swedish? He was a Swede. Swedish, I think. Yeah. Um, he came over in 08, 09. Um, so he would have been, yeah, like 23, 24, scored 17 goals in 55 games. 
and then scored two more two goals the next season and then they traded him to Detroit and he fizzled out there. Um so that would be the Fabian Brunstrom line if uh Ship or yeah. not Shipachev uh, Kuzmenko were to go along there. Uh quickly got to give some love to our friends at Cornerstone Insurance, cornerstoneins.ca proud partners or teammates of Oilers Nation. You see our logo down at the bottom of their site. Submit a claim, get a quote, do it all on their website, cornerstoneins.ca. Uh there was another Interesting rumor that popped up over the last little bit here around uh, circling around the Oilers. It came from the athletic Eric DeHatchek talked about if the Carolina Hurricanes were to miss out on re-signing Tony D'Angelo, who's an RFA, that GM Don Waddell should make trading for Tyson Berry a priority. I wrote an article today at Oilers Nation. I had the Canes, the Kraken, the Islanders as the uh, three good potential landing spots I could see for a guy like Tyson Berry. I had the Penguins and the Canadians on my watch list. Um, But the interesting part with the Canes thing is that Ethan Bear has been told he can negotiate with other teams. Dehachek wrote in the piece that why not swap Bear for Berry? What would your reaction be to an Ethan Bear for Tyson Berry swap, Dan? I think that that ship has to have sailed uh, at this point for both the team and for e- as well for Ethan. Uh, personally, you know, the issues that he had. And then also, you know, the the comparisons to Fogel, I think, or just, you know, I, I, I imagine the ship has just sailed on that one. So I, I'm I, like, I'm sure that there's some, there's a half, the, half of the internet yeah. wants Ethan bear back and the other half doesn't, and they can fight it out. I would be indifferent. I don't care if he comes. I don't care if he does come. The storyline of him coming back to the Oilers and like that quote unquote, right or wrong being righted would be great. Um, I think as a third pairing right shot D man, he could be a really, really good fit here at his cap. It like if you were to take away his history as a, as a player, whether he's been here, whether he's not everything that's gone on, he's an in- intriguing, cheap right shot D man for the third pairing. I, I, I wonder if maybe they go a different direction there. Like if you sign Kulak and Keith comes back and you want Broberg to play, do you look for maybe a little bit more experience for a potential seventh D man? Maybe. Um, but Rick, what would be your, what are your thoughts on the Ethan bear rumors? Well, I, th- I thought I read that they were they were allowing him to talk to other teams because they were not close in contract talks. Yeah, but he is an RFA, so you would still have to like trade for his rights. No, and that's fair. But, but like right now, he's making two million dollars. So if they're not close, and they're saying, "Hey, listen, here's a bit of a raise, two point five. What exactly is he looking for then? And then is he just way too close to Barry at that point? They're not. He's like not getting can- a raise. He was healthy. I think the issue might be. Bear may be looking for like a qualifying offer from them and the Canes are kind of going like, uh, we'll give you like a buck and a half. So the, yeah, do the extension so they can go under the qualifying offer. Yeah. That's where the issue is. Yeah. Either way, you know what? I think they're it's, it's Broberg's turn, yeah. um, coming up. So if you did bring in Barry or sorry, bring in bear, Barry's gone. Kulak's gone. Broberg's up and you're looking at, yeah, I, I, I don't see the team going that way. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't see it at all. I'm uh, yeah, I'm not against the player at all, but we've already we are we kind of have our defensive um, incoming structure out of youth already set up. So unless you're you need to be a bigger name, a bigger a bigger player than Bear to uh, come in and take the spot. Zach Lang is Ethan Bear a guy who you think could come in here and be like a good third pairing D man, or is he when you look at the structure of what their blue line is, is he what they need? Is would he be a good fit? Yeah, I mean, I think there would definitely be a fit for a guy like Ethan Bear on the back end. I think the thing for me, you know, the 
know, I think you might be able to find a really cool pairing in Brad Kulak and Ethan Bear on your third pairing. But again, you know, you're probably looking at a scenario where, like Rick said, it's Philip Broberg's time to kind of take that next step in the into the NHL and in his pro hockey career. So um, would it be cool? Yeah. Would it be a great redemption story? Of course. Is it realistic? I mean, I would be shocked if it happened. Yeah, I think I'd be real surprised as well if it if it did end up happening, even if he would be a decent third pairing right shot D-man. I think you you probably want to focus on the youth you have in the organization. And also, I just think when you read around about teams that might be interested in Tyson Berry, I think there's a shot they get a second or a third round pick for this guy. Don't you need him to go to the Islanders and some get Varlamov back here? I don't, if Var, I don't think Varlamov would come here. He, he'd have to agree to it. And I just can't see him being like, yeah, no, I'm leaving New York. Yeah, I mean, I think there's got to be there's got to be better goaltending options out there than Simeon Varlamov too. Like, I'm not very high on him as a player. Um, you know, I just I think there's got to be a, a higher aspiration in than a guy like him. Well, I think yeah. the aspiration is Skinner. Um, Varlamov just seems to be the best of the cheapest um, safety nets. I uh, also wonder a little bit about Mackenzie Blackwood from a goaltending perspective. You know, is that a team that would, they lost PK Subban. Do they want to replace that puck moving on the back end? Would they do Barry Blackwood, something around that? I don't know. But again, I'd be very nervous about two goalies, 25 or under being your duo next season. Um, But just specifically Barry, the team that keeps sticking out to me is the Seattle Kraken. They have gobs of money. They need a power play quarterback to replace what they lost in Giordano. They have four second round picks this year and three second round picks next year. They can afford to sacrifice a pick. They have the cap space. I could definitely see Barry going to the Kraken. That would be great because if we can just get rid of the contract and bring in a draft pick that's saving that money, that that would be pretty big for us. All right, uh, let's get to Ask the Idiots brought to you by our friends at Buster's uh, Pizza. Order them tonight. Why not? Come on. It's delicious. I had it. I haven't had it in two weeks, actually, so I'm probably due for a good Buster's run anyways. But if you submit an Ask the Idiots question, you are entered in a draw for a chance to win a $50 GC to Buster's Pizza. So let's dig into this here. I put out the uh, call on Twitter. This one comes in from Mia. Which one of these two things makes more of a difference next season? Woodcroft being around for the entire year and the preseason or signing a proper goalie? Which one will have a bigger impact on the team, Dan? Oh, it's the signing of a proper goalie. The The key word being proper, because that would mean that this team has, uh, you know, an option where they can, they can not have to worry about goaltending as much anymore. So yeah, for me, it's goaltending. I still am excited for Woodcroft to have a full season, but goaltending. Rick? Uh, the answer is probably the goaltender, but I think the goaltender that's going to get the most opportunity is the one that's already here, or at least making his way up here and lives in this city. So I think, uh, I think having Woodcroft around all year will definitely uh, help us out in the, in our final season standings. That's for sure. Zach. I'm going to go with the uh, Woodcroft. Actually, I think having him around for a full season is going to be more important. You look at what the Oilers were able to do, even with Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen last year, I mean, they still got league average above league average goaltending from that duo. And I think when you look at Woodcroft, he spoke about it at the end of the season where he literally just said, he's like, we were thrown right into the fire. Like we didn't really have much time to think or prepare. Uh, it was just kind of go, go, go on a day-to-day basis. So I think having the time for them to kind of slow down a little bit, take a deep breath and get the chance to kind of work with these guys early on in the season 
in the preseason and training camp, it's going to be huge because that's where you're able to do a lot of coaching. And I think that's where you're going to start to see the the fingerprints of Jay Woodcroft all over this team. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say goaltending just because if you can get a guy who's consistently in that 912 to 920 range for you game in game out, I, I just don't see a way in which you Oilers aren't like a top five team in the NHL. I think the scoring will be there. Obviously, Woodcroft has an effect, but a really, really good goalie, like getting that right, checking that box correctly could just be unbelievable. Um, this one comes in from Parker Wazalenko, who's oh, wow, I'm saying the names again, aren't I? Damn. Ah, you sure are. You did on the first one. I let it go, uh, but whatever. Oh, well, um, someone's just going to comes out again. Yeah. Uh, he says, what was your favorite Woodcroft moment from the 2021 season? Um, he listed some, uh, or some options here, banter with the media power stance at the podium, the gate swing or other Zach. Uh, I'm going to go with the gate swing. I think that was the best moment. There was a lot of really good ones. Our stance is my number two for sure, but that gate swing man and the way he was just standing there after beating the Flames in five, I mean, that was just so sweet. So I'm, I'm going with the uh, the gate stand. Uh, Rick? Yeah, it has to come down to the, it has to be the end of the BOA there. That was, just, I don't know, man. I guess that's right up there. If, I don't know who remembers this, but there was a goal scored in the BOA a bunch of years ago in the late, in the late 80s and Glenn Sather turns around and gives the crowd a little, uh, a little fist pump and that's always been something that was pretty big for Mac in that time. So I think it, that's, it kind of stands in that same, that same era. So I'm going with the, uh, the, the post BOA. Dan. I can't, I'm trying to remember the exact game that it happened in. I have the picture up right now, but there was one moment where the flames did something real dirty in, I think it might've even been in game three or four, but um, he, it's the camera panned to Woodcroft and instead of being pissed off or anything, he was just smirking because he knew that the flames were broken and he knew that the flames were out of, off their game and they were just getting to try and do stuff after the whistle because they couldn't score any goals. So when he, when it panned to him and he had this shit eating grin on his face, I just, that I fell in love. Yeah, I for me, it's going to be the power stance early just because of how quickly it sort of endeared him to the to the fan base. And the gate swing is iconic. Like we're going to be remembering that moment, seeing pictures of that moment for years. But just early on, he endeared himself to the fan base. And I, and I really, really liked that. He was just such a breath of fresh air. And I think that was kind of a part of it. Even was it against L.A. or Calgary when he was doing his press conferences? They had a table at the visiting rink. And he was still just like standing up to do it, even though it looked weird. I don't know. The power stance was just hilarious. I, that's a good point too, by you, Tyler, not to piggyback off of you, but uh, like his honesty in press conferences, I think was the first thing that, that, uh, that I'll always remember about him. I'm uh, going to wrap it up with this one from Mike McKinnon. If there was a rival hockey league forming the same way live golf has begun, which player do you think would be the first to go over to the new league, Rick. I'm going to come oh, to you so first. They're, they're almost. I mean, they're almost is. And I mean, at least back when the KHL first took, kind of sort of started, it, it sort of was. Um, and I know he's not in the league anymore, but he made the jump back then. So I'm going with Kovalchuk. Kovalchuk. Okay, Dan. I went, I said Ovechkin immediately because to me, while I agree with you, Rick, that the KHL did try to do that, they weren't really paying anybody real money. And so it was a fizzle, but this, this league is paying these people boatloads of money. So yeah, I'm going to guess that Mr. Ovechkin would be there very, very quickly. Zach. 
Could it be Anthony D'Angelo? He just seems like the guy that would just chase the bag and not give a shit. Like, he just the first guy that came to mind. It just seems like he's the guy to guy that doesn't care enough and, and would do something like that. I don't know why. Like, I can kind of see why this guy popped into my head early, but also kind of not because he does so much good stuff. And I mean, we're, we're just talking about a rival hockey league. Like, we're not saying the Saudi government is starting a rival hockey league. Let me just be very clear with that. This is just a fun rival hockey league. I could see it being P.K. Subban. He's a UFA this year. He's not going to make great money if he comes back to the NHL next season. I could see if there was like this big flashy, maybe it was like three on three or four on four all the time kind of hockey league. Subban being like, I'm the face of it. This is like when the, this is like when you get the European soccer players coming over to the MLS for the big dollars. Yeah, exactly. Yes, he would, he would be. But, but with P.K., you know, I love the guy, but. He would be kind of like the one who's at the end of his career going, all right, you know what? That life looks out there. Look, it's pretty good out there. I'll go out there and make some bank. Uh, all right. That's going to do it for Ask the Idiots. Uh, it was Mike, Mia, and who are the other two? Parker. And I think that was it. That was three of them, right? Do we have three yep. questions? Yep. All right. I'll put uh, Mike, Mia, and Parker into a little randomizer after we're done on the show today and give one of them a shout in the old Twitter DMs to let them know who won a gift card courtesy of our friends at Buster's Pizza. Uh, if you missed it, we're still going to be doing two episodes a week, but the Tuesday episode is just always going to be sort of a bit of a shorter spurt, just recapping what's going on around the uh, Oilers world. So that's going to be a wrap on episode 207. Need to give some love to our friends at Twig and Berries. Twigandberries.ca, promo code NATION15 will get you 15% off your order there. Freshen up your wardrobe before summer with Twig and Berries for Dan, Rick, and Zach. Hey, Zach, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate that. Always happy to. That's going to do it for episode 207, brought to you by Oodle Noodle and DoorDash. We will talk to you again on a Friday. Shout out the NHL Award Show. Oh, yeah, Connor for heart. Let's go. Thanks for listening to Oilers Nation Radio, delivered by DoorDash. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.